This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Holodeck, deep inside a Federation starship, where we're running a scenario on how to take over a podcast. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. We're so glad you're here. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and we have a great discussion on tap for you today in episode number 183. It's, um, it's not very often that we go back to the well on Voyager, but I'm happy to do it this time and talk about... Uh, really kind of different sort of holodeck story, which I think is pretty intriguing. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I, his, uh, his vocal cords are, are, are healing, thankfully. Um, but if he were a character in our holodeck simulation on how to take over a podcast, I would phase him immediately. I mean, and probably two or three times just to make sure that he wasn't getting back up for a while. He is the largely targetable Dan Davidson and Dan, Welcome aboard, buddy. Don't forget to duck. Largely targetable? Does that mean that you just want to target me or that I'm large? Uh, I'm modifying targetable, so you are targetable. (laughs) Okay, I just wanted to make sure. It's great to be here. Always fun to talk uh, Star Trek every week with you, buddy. Got a great episode, like you said. Um, When when do we not have a holodeck story that goes wrong? Has that ever happened? (laughs) Um, Technically, one could say that Hollow Pursuits doesn't go wrong. Technically, okay, all right, but it's still fun. It is fun when when they go wrong. I always, I always have loved the fact that uh, Wesley was able to throw holodeck snow out of the holodeck onto Picard's uniform in season one. Um, So that went wrong, (laughs) but uh, very wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's great to be here. Yeah, as uh, as we sit here and just and talk about episode one eighty three, we're going to talk about the episode worst case scenario from Voyager, which. As you have said, and I have said, I've got we've got such a new appreciation and a better appreciation for the show since we've been rewatching it, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, you know, this is one that it's a it's a late season three entry. I think it's right before Scorpion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's one I haven't seen in a little bit. So when I went back and watched it again, I I I felt like I got to approach it with fresh eyes, even though I think the last time I saw it was probably about a year ago. 
and I was really kind of struck by how different it was as far as holodeck stories. You know, TNG and 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 even TS, DS9 to some extent had some some gone wrong stories, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one really kind of takes that and turns the concept on its ear a little bit. And I thought it was a really creative way in which they introduced it. So looking forward to talking about that. Absolutely. One of, I liked. I like how they do things subtly in these type of episodes, and we're going to get into the discussion, but right off the bat, I'm watching it. I remember when I saw it the first time, or maybe the second time, I just remember this happened. Um, at the very beginning, um, uh, Bolana is talking to Chakotay, and Chakotay calls her Ensign, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. Did they make a mistake in the writing? She's not an Ensign. And of course, then you find out why. So I just love how they do stuff like that. And of course, uh, uh, fun episode, holodecks are always fun. Safety protocols are off, so watch out. Right. Thanks for that warning. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, Dan, you may want to warn our listeners on how they can get in touch with you with something you may, they want to exercise great caution with. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's actually so easy to get in touch with either of us, Mr. Smith, I must say. So uh, head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out that contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can click on that big, giant blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends talking all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, as a bonus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to find out about it first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp but it's very important that even with these safety protocols off bill that um, any comments or messages that you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode enter when ready well no pressure (laughs) oh no that's the enterprise the holodeck isn't like that on voyager sorry Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Delta Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. online at tracknews.net. People can't see you, but it's like you were singing into the microphone and, and just sort of off in your own head and letting the note trail off. And I let the music fill me, brother. Oh, you you clearly do. If, we reach. Only, yeah, we, <laughs> Herbert, we reach. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing now. I, um, so news, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So Dan, uh, first up, 
we talked last week about the extensive update that Alex Kurtzman gave regarding, well, I guess the entire Star Trek universe, which included the fact that there will be six new short treks. And we have a little bit of detail on at least one of them. Very excited about this. I got to admit, uh, yes, um, detail has come out about short treks. Um, director Mark Pennington um, actually uh, gave us some hints by way of some subtle Instagram posts about what one of these short treks will be. Uh, one of these posts was a picture of the onset slate with the short treks logo, as well as the title Chaos Theory. Very, very cool title. And in the second Instagram post, he, Rebecca Romaine, of course, number one, and Ethan Peck, of course, Spock from Discovery Season 2, posed for a selfie with the hashtags Short Treks, Rebecca Romaine, Ethan Peck, and Shabon, indicating that Michael Shabon wrote the story. Um, I like how the studio was allowing these little teasers to be released, but I have heard that these have been since deleted. Um, I think it'll be interesting to get a short treks um, on board the Enterprise that doesn't have Pike or other characters, similar to what we saw with short trek uh, number one, Runaway, which focused on Tilly. But uh, uh, hopefully they'll be using that bridge that they built uh, for a little more than just uh, that uh, finale of Discovery. So very excited about this. Agreed. I think that this is great news. Um I guess it, it's not a full series like I'm hoping for, but um, the dream is still alive. It is. It hasn't died yet. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be pretty cool to see. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I have a feeling that this one may be a little closer to what I'm hoping for in a short treks from from Michael Shabon. Mm -hmm. um, I, as people know, I wasn't a fan of, of the last one he did. Calypso, right? Uh, just uh, yeah. yeah. I, I've this one has Spock. This one has number one. I I'm hoping that it'll be a little more of a character study between the two, and I'm looking forward to it. So I'm looking forward to it too. And and this isn't part of a news story, but since we're talking about Mr. Shabon, let's congratulate him. It was recently uh, announced that he is the showrunner for the upcoming Star Trek Picard series. So that's pretty awesome news, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Nice of them to wait till they're in the middle of shooting Picard. <laughs> To announce that he's the showrunner, which I think that just about everybody assumed anyway. Well, Kirsten has been fired, so I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's in untrue. People, don't be running with that, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. There's so many rumors out there on all those horrible YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. um, Alex Kurtzman not fired. Um, Michael yep. Shabon, I'm not surprised. He's he's the head writer, um, right. Because he's Michael Shabon, so. right? Right, right. Dan, also in news, it looks like Eagle Moss has announced their the release of their latest ship. And I don't know if I were <laughs> going to say you were excited about it. That could be the understatement of the millennia. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Very, very excited. I've been waiting for this one for so long. Uh, our friends at Eagle Moss recently announced that the planet killer from TOS classic Doomsday Machine episode is available for pre-order and will be released in July. Um, literally bill, it took me about two minutes to jump on their site and order this larger model. It's about eight inches. Um, as well as several others, I got to admit, um, I got gone to, I got the Krenum time ship from my, probably my favorite Voyager episode, the year of hell. Um, and the Fasarius from the Corbin might maneuver. So I said it right. Thumbs up to me. Very excited for these four ships. Uh, I'm very excited about the planet killer. First of all, because well, it's the planet killer. And uh, the designers at Eagle Moss decided to install a light inside. So it's illuminated from the inside from that maw that, you know, could swallow a dozen starships. So I'm very excited about that. And Bill, here's the reason why I'm even more excited. I ordered these. 
as we record this episode this week, all of the ships that I ordered, including the Planet Killer, have arrived. Here it is for you to see for the first time. Oh my God, it is so awesome. I love it. I'm happy. You cannot touch it. You'll break it. The Space Bugle. It is. It is. And uh, let me see if I can do this real quick. I'm doing it on camera, so our people probably don't care. But ding, lights up, baby. Look at that beautifulness. I say your video froze, so. Okay, well, it's lit up. (laughs) (laughs) Very excited. Uh, The folks at Eagle Moss have outdone themselves. We love them. Their ships are so great. And uh, I'm just very excited about finally having the planet killer. So not only did you get it, you got it early, very early out ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I wish that, uh, every CBS licensee could do that. Loot crate. I'm looking at you. Oh, pfft, yeah. I don't think that license is going to be renewed, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but that, that is amazing. That makes me want the, uh, the, the planet killer, the doomsday machine even more. That mm-hmm. looks amazing. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. I, uh, I'm very jealous, and I'm sure the Fasarius is pretty cool, too. I haven't even opened it yet. <laughs> I've been so excited with this one, I haven't even touched the other three. <laughs> way, to go, way to go, super fan. <laughs> well, and finally, Dan, we, we truly hate it when we have to pass along sad news here on the podcast, but the Star Trek universe lost a truly brilliant writer recently. Yeah, indeed. We are saddened uh, to have heard recently that Peter Allen Fields, the veteran writer and producer from TNG and DS9, passed away last week at the age of 84. Mr. Fields had an amazing career as a writer after he decided that being a lawyer just wasn't for him, uh, and he was involved in truly some of the best episodes of Star Trek. Um, we'll get to those in a, in a moment, but other great shows like The Man from Uncle, Xena, Warrior Princess, Knight Rider, and The Six Million Dollar Man are just a few of the other shows that he worked on. Um, for Star Trek, like I said, some of the best episodes, TNG's Half a Life. Uh, he was also involved in the Inner Light. Um, so his contributions uh, were great on TNG. And on DS9, episodes such as Duet, Blood Oath, and In the Pale Moonlight, which is just one of the best um, he had his hands in. So amazing work by an amazing person. And we here at Trek Geeks pass along our condolences to all of Mr. Field's friends family, and fans. So, Dan, coming up, August 23, 24, and 25, 2019, you and I are going to be at Ticonderoga, New York, for Trek on Daroga, we are uh, we are there. We're going to be on the schedule, and it is going to be the fifth annual convention there. And what a time it's going to be! I cannot. I am so so excited about this. You know, um, we branched out last year for the first time and drove to Albany uh, for Northeast TrekCon, and now we're going to be hitting up Trek on Daroga at the official Star Trek Studios tour set. Um, very very excited. Uh, looking forward to meeting all the people up there. Um, of course, uh, how excited can you be when you're going to be someplace where great names like, oh, I don't know, Robin Curtis, uh, oh, who else? Terry Farrell, just to name a couple. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ethan Peck's going to be there. That's right. Spock going to be sitting on the original series bridge. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a panel. And here's some even more awesome news, Bill. You know what we're going to do right here on Trek Geeks right now? I think you know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 
We're giving away two tickets, brother. (laughs) (laughs) You're jumping ahead. I mean, we we, we got to give some detail. I'm so excited. So, yeah. So this this takes place in and around the Star Trek original series set tour in in Ticonderoga, New York. That's the the wonderfully officially licensed uh, TOS set tour that that is owned by James Cawley. Um, The sets that he created for his fan films now are open to the public and you can tour them. And they also have a great convention there at least once a year now. Uh, Shatner has been there. Anson Mount has been there. Uh, Carl Urban has been there. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a great, great venue. And I'm so glad they do this for the fans in the Lake George region. Um, So you mentioned Terry Farrell and Ethan Peck. Robin Curtis, also David Frankham, who was in the original series, Mm -hmm. um, as well as all kinds of other convention style stuff. So this isn't just the set tour. This is a full blown convention in one of the the beautiful towns surrounding Lake George in upstate New York. So um, for more details, before we tell people um, how they can possibly get tickets of their own, go to StarTrekTour.com. You'll get all the details on the convention. You can see what's going on. But yeah, Dan... um, we're going to give away two weekend passes to Treconderoga. You have to get yourself there. Yes. Um, yep. So travel and accommodations mm-hmm. not included as part of this. That's correct. But if you can get to Ticonderoga, New York, we have two tickets possibly waiting for you. Absolutely. And and as Bill said, uh, um, travel and accommodations not included. And I got to tell you right now, folks, if you, if you want to go and you're planning on going, Make your reservations now because we've been checking out some of the hotels in the area and they're already sold out for this weekend because it's such a big event. There's, of course, other rooms available. So so check it out. We are very excited to be part of this uh, weekend um, extravaganza up in, in Ticonderoga. So we want some a couple of our listeners to um, to have some fun up there as well. So as Bill said, and I mentioned a moment ago, we're giving away two tickets, two weekend passes for the convention. So you need to get there on your own. You need to stay in your room uh, on your own dollar, but we're going to give away these two passes and it's going to be very, very easy to do so, Bill. Uh, We're just going to use a special hashtag uh, and we're going to ask people to head on over to Twitter and uh, send us a message using the specific hashtag. And and I don't know if you have any ideas, Bill, but I think it's just going to be as simple as using the hashtag and saying something like, I want to go to Treconderoga and tag uh, the star- at Star Trek Tours. You can tell us you want to go to Treconderoga. You can tell us um, the part of the Enterprise set you want to see the most. You can hmm. tell us what you're looking forward to seeing the most at, at Treconderoga. Maybe you're really looking forward to seeing Ethan Peck or Robin Curtis or Terry Farrell. Or David Frankham, you know, it could really be anything about that weekend as long as you use the hashtag. What is it, Dan? Hashtag Trek Geeks Enterprise. Boom. All well, together. Boom. You don't have to put boom in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's hashtag Trek Geeks Enterprise all together, no spaces. Um, and we're going to use people who, uh, or we're going to use people. We're going <laughs> to we're going to locate the people who use that hashtag on Twitter and put them into a random drawing for the two tickets. Yes, very, very excited. And, of course, one of the rules, we, we'd have to throw at least one rule in there, is uh, you have to come say hi to us when we're there because we want to meet you in person. So, uh, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Selfie time. <laughs> I like that at, <laughs> at, on the tour. Uh, like, like like you said, we're just we're looking forward to this so much. Um, it's really going to be great. There are some amazing people up there, and uh, we are very honored and humbled to be part of the uh, weekend. So if you don't have a Twitter account, time to start one. <laughs> you can do it just for this if you want to, but tweet us 
the hashtag Trek Geeks Enterprise, and we'll put you into the drawing for two tickets to Trek on Daroga the weekend of August 23rd through 25th, 2019. And sincerely grateful thanks to James Colley and the Star Trek original series set tour for uh, for for putting on this event and, and for making this possible because uh, it's a weekend we are looking forward to. And we know that everybody else is going to love. Absolutely. And I think uh, let's uh, we want to put a time frame around this bill. So what I'm thinking, cause I'm doing this right off the cuff. So you let me know what you think is uh, I say maybe the uh, episode that drops right before we go to Vegas uh, is when we'll possibly announce that way people have a couple of weeks to, to get ready. Uh, well, what do you think on that? I would say entry. We're going to say that, um, you can use the hashtag up through July 31st. July 31st. I love it. Okay. That's good for me. And then on our first episode back fr- from Star Trek Las Vegas, because that actually is the week of STLV, um, we will announce the winner. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. So, and that is um, that is 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on July 31st. So get your tweets in with the hashtag Trek Geeks Enterprise. And uh, good luck to everybody. Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. They have been (laughs) just so busy lately putting together the Women of Star Trek Collector Set for Star Trek Las Vegas. And of course, over the course of the last week, they have been giving everyone glimpses of the pins that will make up this amazing collection. As we record this week's episode... Uh, Beverly Crusher, Crusher, Beverly Crusher, Beverly Crusher, Beverly Crusher. There's Akura. There's there's uh, Kira. There's Catherine Janeway to Paul, Michael Burnham, Deanna Troy, and the Borg Queen have already been revealed for this set. And of course, they look fantastic. Be sure to check out Twitter and Facebook for the rest of the pins in this set. I think they're announcing one more at some point this mm-hmm. week. And believe me, you're not going to be disappointed. Not disappointed at all. They do amazing work as we talk about all the time. Um, I said last week, Bill, how much I love these first releases of the pins. The ones that are available at STLV will have a special glitter background to them, and they really sparkle. Uh, in addition to the first wave of pins for this collection that will be available in Vegas, Fansets is going to be releasing additional Women of Trek pins through the year, and you, the listeners of Trek Geeks, are going to be able to decide what one of those pins is going to be. Uh, when we get back from STLV, we're going to have a poll in Camp Kittimer, which is going to list off several female Trek characters, asking people to vote on which one they would like to see as a pin. But you will also have the ability to add your own character if it's not in that list. Um, the Fansets is going to be doing this uh, in a variety of different places, and Camp Kittimer is going to be one of the places that is going to have that involvement. So you will be steering the ship for all the women of Trek, and that's pretty amazing. You know, Dan, also in addition to the women of Trek pins at Star Trek Las Vegas, Fansets is going to have more than a dozen other pins coming out in the next month. I mean, normally we're doing two a month, and now they are just kicking that into overdrive, and we're going to have over a dozen, including um, the Trek Tech pins with the TNG phaser and the Klingon Batleth, a really cool half Picard, half Locutus pin. And the episode pins for season two of Star Trek Discovery, man, this is a lot of pins and they have even more planned 
as usual. They are just knocking it out of the park. In the meantime, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the word SESKA at checkout. That's S-E-S-K-A, all capital letters and no spaces. This bonus code is going to be available for an extended time until Tuesday, July 23rd at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets, we are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, we gather to consider a, um, well, like this has never happened on Star Trek before, a holodeck gone wrong episode. What? What are you talking about? I know. It's crazy talk, isn't it? (laughs) With uh, Star Trek Voyager's worst case scenario. It's uh, season three, I believe, episode 25. And um, I, I sat down to watch it the other day and I forgot how good this particular episode was, I mean, over the years, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I've given Voyager a lot of grief mm-hmm. as we both uh, have, as we both have. And I've discovered in rewatching the entire series in an effort to try to finally make it all the way through Voyager that there, it really is a gem of a Star Trek series. It is good. It um, really is. The writing wasn't always spot on, but you know what? That's true of every Star Trek series that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to go into Voyager with a fresh mind and a fresh perspective, and I'm glad I have because I'm really developing a love for it that I didn't have before. And and this episode is no exception. I'm the same way with you, man. Uh, my my reappreciation for the series happened about a year ago when it was on H and I. But last night, as we wa- as soon I watched this episode to get ready for recording today, it it ended, and I kind of like jumped up off the couch and I said, "Oh my god, this episode was so good!" And she looked at me and said, "See." Voyage is pretty awesome, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it absolutely is. Bill and I have a new appreciation for it, and I can't wait to talk about the episode tomorrow. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. I <laughs> think that... <laughs> well, it was interesting to double back because I'm in season six of my my Voyager watch now. I just finished the episode Pathfinder and said, oh, yeah, I got to go back and watch Worst Case Scenario again. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to sort of travel back in time to that point in season three because obviously we don't have seven of nine yet. Janeway still has a a variety of different hairstyles. (laughs) And um, it it was interesting to see some of the dynamics between the characters because they haven't, they're not as close as they are in season six. Right. There's not that, that sense of family or camaraderie that you get. Well, you figure at the end of Pathfinder, they're all sitting around a table laughing and you definitely don't have that in season three. No, um, you don't have the relationship between Tom and Bellana. So that's a little different. Um, You still have Kess. Uh, so that's yep. a little different. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that, it, you know, if you're used to the later seasons of Voyager fresh in your memory, uh, there really is a lot of difference. And, and that's something that I like. You really do see over the course of the seven seasons how they became a family as Janeway always stressed. Janeway still does talk with her hands a lot uh, in season three. That's for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I like how they did it. It, it was It's good to, to have the um, difference of viewpoints from different characters also that we saw in this in this episode and in that season specifically so yeah very cool stuff i really appreciate how the episode starts off inside the holodeck simulation i mean everybody assumes it's a hollow novel to start with it's not till later on i want to say act three possibly that we learn that it's actually not a hollow novel at all Mm -hmm. it's a a training simulation that tuvok had been working on which i find absolutely fascinating he's like the only guy on the ship that contemplated that this could be a possibility right and honestly it was kind of something that viewers were hoping for the entire time 
Um, you know, because they, they got rid of the Maquis Starfleet conflict pretty much within the first couple of episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. It was a dynamic that could have run through the series. And I think that it would have been interesting to see a, a lesser version of this play out in real life. But I'm really glad they sort of doubled back and reestablished some of these things as sort of a what could happen. Yeah, it really was great. I mean, it, you're right. It, it, there were some there were some smatterings of the differences between the Maquis and Starfleet um, through season one, and th- then it just kind of trailed off. So to have this kind of really kind of powerful um, rebellion or mutiny, so to speak, um, was good to see. What I loved about the beginning of the episode, Bill, is how it started out in the holodeck, but you didn't know it was the holodeck until until quite a bit further into the, into the, I don't even know if it was the teaser or act one where you really discovered what was going on. I, I was watching and Chakotay called Tora, uh, Bolana an ensign. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Did they make yeah. a writing mistake? And then mm. you kind of figure out what's going on. And, and I thought it was, it was really well done, but um, it's, it, it was very interesting to see what could have happened. And like you said, kind of the last person you would expect to have done something like this is Tuvok, but it, his explanation uh, in the briefing room later on and that it was a, an exercise because he thought it was a very real possibility and he wanted to train his security staff was pretty brilliant. Insurrection alpha. What a great name. That's the name of my new white snake cover band. <laughs> white snake. Come on. <laughs> I just picked it off the top of my head. I, I do think it fits within two box character though. I think that that is very logical. I think that he would do something like that. Although, I thought it weird that he would actually write a holodeck program painting all of these people on the ship <laughs> in that kind of role. Sure. Now, now, and to his credit, he thought he deleted it. Right. It's not like this was hanging out and he was, you know, visiting it every now and then to go, hey, what could happen if these people decide to go rogue on me? Um, um, it, um, you know, he, he thought he got rid of it. I'm thinking that he probably should have emptied the recycle bin. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't. No, <laughs> no, he clearly didn't. Um, it's, it's it's interesting that you say that uh, he he painted all of these crew members the way that he did because we kind of see that later on. Um, I don't know if you've gotten as far as the episode where the doctor does a novel um, about people on the on Voyager, um, even though they're not from Voyager, quote unquote. It's kind of uh, interesting how different crew members see other crew members uh, when they do their holodeck uh, adventures. I thought that was kind of interesting. Is that the uh, author? Author? I I. Yes, Fortunately, I'm not sure on the title. I think so. Yeah. No, that's yeah. season seven. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. But I, right. I hear that it's not. I hear it's not people's favorite. I didn't mind it. I I think it, I kind of I kind of looked at it with kind of a humorous uh, tone to it. Um, you know, the doctor wanted to branch out, and uh, we'll get to that one when we. I'm sure maybe we'll do an, a, a deep dive into that episode. But um, it's interesting, like I said, to see how characters, especially someone like Tuvok, who's a Vulcan paint other crew members um, during this exercise. And I also found it interesting that Tuvok kind of bristled at the idea of someone else taking over his work, kind of like an emotional reaction to the fact that Paris was going to change things up later on uh, when they were going to write that uh, ending that never took place. Yeah, very interesting. I might point out about Author Author. It is the last ranked episode at Trek Ranks. Wow. In Jim's Voyager Ranks. Okay. It is dead last. Really? That's interesting uh, to me because anything with the Kazon would probably be lower. <laughs> uh, see, there are times I don't mind the Kazon. Ugh, I'm not and there are other times where they annoy the heck out of me. Yeah. So I'm glad that they're not in this episode, but I'm glad that it, it paints a period of time in Voyager where um, they were still potentially very much a threat. Mm-hmm. And of course, that takes us to Seska. 
Um, obviously, by the time this program is engaged by Bolana, Suska's dead. Yep, for about a year. For about a year. And, yep. and in this simulation, she plays a very large part to the point where when Tuvok tries to reopen the narrative parameters file, it engages, I don't know, uh, a hidden Trojan horse type thing where Suska essentially has the ability to try to kill Tuvok. Exactly. Yeah. Safety protocols off. It affects certain systems on the ship as soon as that uh, parameter is opened up. And um, that's where the holodeck gone wrong aspect pops into place. And it's done. I got to say, it's probably done better than any other holodeck gone wrong episode. Um, It's believable. I didn't know Seska had such engineering and software writing skills. Uh, maybe we can bring her over to my department at work. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it was really good. And I got to say, uh, um, we may get into it a little bit more detail later, but hats off to, to, to Martha Hackett. Uh, she does a fantastic job as Seska. I was never a Seska fan, but I got to say, in this episode, as a Bajoran, she is so much more menacing and threatening than she was when she had that half Cardassian makeup on um, before she was killed um, in season two. Um, so yeah, I, it, she did a great job in this one, even as a holiday character. It was just, it was, it was great. Martha Hackett really shines in this episode because she gets to unleash pretty much just evil Seska instead of trying to play both sides against the middle or to try right. to be the, uh, the undercover spy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, she just gets to come right out and start phasering people. And she's, she's devious and she is, uh, she, she's, she's pretty badass in this episode. And I love Martha Hackett. Um, whenever she turns up in star Trek, I'm very excited because she just always turns in a fantastic performance. But uh, this is probably one of my favorite turns as Seska, even though it's, it's faux Seska. Faux, I like that. Faux Seska. Thank you. Um, one of the reasons I think she is also so badass in this episode, I gotta say, I think they're my favorite. Those phaser rifles are awesome. <laughs> they are so great. They look like they have two blades at the end of them. I just love them. I think they're great, ex- except when they backfire and you get electrocuted. Yeah, th- that's something we never knew could happen. Yeah, yeah, and they're pretty much easy enough to do because Tuvok just tapped in a couple commands and boom. Maybe he should have thrown it into the um, uh, little garbage chute. <laughs> I was just say the garbage chute. <laughs> yeah, see, in TOS, we were concerned because an overloading phaser would take out you know half the ship. <laughs> in Voyager, it's just contained to to one person and it just <laughs> essentially disintegrates them. <laughs> Very, very nice. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> One of the aspects I really like about the way they told this story is the sort of choose your own adventure aspect yeah. uh, of the program. You know, Tom chooses one path and very Tom Paris like says to Chakotay, so I hear you're planning a mutiny. It's like he, <laughs> that guy has no subtlety whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, and Chakotay is like, what have you heard? Yeah. And but Bolana plays it a completely different way. Um, I really like that everybody got something different out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that made the episode more exciting. I thought it was really cool. That that whole, cho- uh, it reminds me of those books when I was a kid, where if you're going to go this path, turn to page 47. Yeah, that's what I was that, talking about. Yeah. See what I did there. Um, but um, Tom did that route the first time where he was trying to save uh, Tuvok. But then he said, oh, I'm going to just play it again. And this time I'm going to choose the other side. I like that you have the opportunity to play both sides. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I would definitely do that, and I'd go with the one that I like better. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, here's a great question for you. Would you join the mutiny, or would you try to thwart the mutiny the first time? I'm not a big Maquis fan, so I would stay with Starfleet. 
Interesting. Yeah, I've never so, been a huge Maquis fan. But for, for the, the pure entertainment value, you wouldn't potentially just go along with the mutiny to see what happens? Oh, well, that's different. For the for the entertainment value, I definitely would grab a phaser and just start shooting anybody I could. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. And I would be searching for you first. Wow. Yeah. You'd probably be in the mess hall or, you know, I don't know, in the bowling alley or the arboretum, one or the other. I would shoot Neelix in the lungs, so it'd look like this. <laughs> what lungs? <laughs> That that's your first Neelix without lungs impersonation I think I've ever seen. Thank you. Yeah, it's very Thank nice. you. I um no, I really love the choose your own adventure aspect. I think that it adds a new dimension to this episode. You know, we have some some start and restart and, and episodes in in Star Trek, mm-hmm. but I think this one, much like the holodeck gone wrong aspect, is really creative in in how they addressed everything. Yeah. One of the things that surprised me the most about this episode was how okay everybody was with, one, the fact that this program exists, two, the people are playing it recreationally, and three, they all seem to be okay with the fact that Chakotay is going to mount a mutiny and shoot people. <laughs> Even Chakotay seems Even okay Chakotay. with it. <laughs> yeah, when they're in the briefing room, he's like, huh. And no, he never gets mad, and I bet you, no, we didn't see it, but I bet you he played it. <laughs> so Chakotay was going up against Chakotay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're... They're all sitting around the briefing room, you know, they're all going, all right, well, we hear this is new thing. And it's, it astounds me that Janeway is okay with this based on everything I know about her now. But I do like her explanation for it. Um, She says that, you know, they're stranded out here. It's, it's not just a crew. It's a family. People need to have a way to, to break off from work and to entertain themselves and to have something to do. That's fun. So even though it's a training program, because I think they have that ability to do what we just talked about. I'm going to be on the other side and I'm going to phaser people. That's no matter what, that's fun sounding. It's like when you go play laser tag or something like that, it's always fun. So I kind of like how she had that attitude towards it. And it, it is surprising, but at the same time, based on how she thinks about the crew, not surprising. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think I, I'm thinking of it from the TNG perspective where it was introduced that it's really not a good idea to cr- create holodeck recreations of people in the real world, especially yeah. ones that you know. Mm-hmm. And here we are now creating a a potential, well, we'll call it a training program for now, and I'm using air quotes, um, that winds up being essentially playtime on the holodeck where the goal is for the mutineers to take over the ship and kill the captain if necessary. This is not your father's holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because Wesley's not running it. No, well, that's true. Yeah. Um, the th- you know, it's funny you talked about the thing that surprised you, and I don't know if you meant the most, but the thing that surprised me the most is how it was Janeway who was in there doing changes really quickly to the program instead of an engineer or someone who was more, you know, Harry possibly with what he does at ops. She was in there making all the changes really quick. Like Chakotay's character mid sentence would be changing into a different um, way that he thought how things were going. I thought that was kind of interesting that we got to see Janeway as kind of the hero. I mean, not that we haven't seen it before, but it was an interesting aspect to the episode. I think it's one of the things that Voyager has done really well is establish the fact that all of these people are super smart and have a variety of talents. So like not just one person can write a holodeck program. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw it a little bit in TNG, but you know, um, Janeway knows her way around the science. She knows how to science the science. Apparently she knows how to engineer uh, the tech and the engineering things. Uh, probably a good reason as to why she's made captain because she is so well-versed in things. But um, I like that, people aren't siloed in Voyager. 
I like that word. You know, uh, we see that all too often in today's culture, especially in business and technology, because you and I both work in technology. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much once you hit a, a specialization, that's your specialization, and you stick with it. And I think that this version of Starfleet is far more well-rounded than today's technology now, almost 25 years later, where when you know a thing, you get stuck in the thing. <laughs> to know a thing is to be a thing. And Odo said that, I think, or, <laughs> or the founder said, me female shapeshifter saw it in the search or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it would have been interesting, I think, for me, if we got to see how Tuvok and Paris working together would have ended this simulation if Seska had not gotten in and hacked it uh, when that parameter was reopened. Because you could see that, uh, I, I got to admit, what Tuva, what uh, what Paris was talking about and what he would want to do was just awful. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wow, you are way out there, pal. And Tuvok wanted to reel him in. So it would have been an interesting dynamic to see how they would have um, come over uh, and come to a compromise as to how the story would have ended, if not for the unfortunate holodeck mo- uh malfeasance i wow let's uh be careful saying words like that because you could wind up with bass and coleridge <laughs> very nice very thank nice. you thank you i um i think the thing that surprised me the most is that paris stepped up to want to do it because i think we've established throughout voyager um that his idea of entertainment's a bit cheesy to begin with yes Captain um, <laughs> yeah i'm not saying bad i mean no. he loves all these these you know, old time TV shows. Mm-hmm. Eventually he gets a TV that Bologna right. gives him, which I thought was kind of a weird choice. Um, but uh, I think that cliched is not a surprise when it comes to Tom Paris. Not at all. And, and he's kind of the one, you know, he's kind of the, I don't want to say practical joker of the crew, but he's the, uh, he's the me of the crew. I think if I look, when I look at family members, I'm the one who's always, you know, kind of joking around and doing stuff like that. That's him. He's kind of established himself as that kind of character on Voyager. Um, and it totally fits with, with his character to, to want to pick it up and, and do the crazy things that I said just a minute ago were way out or way off the charts, like uh, Janeway incinerating people and this, that, and the other thing. It's, it was, it was a good, it was a good um, uh, continuity of his character, I guess I'd say. I agree. I mean, before I got as, as deep into Voyager as I am, I have to admit that Tom Paris was my least favorite character in mm-hmm. all of Star Trek. Wow. Uh, yeah. Even you know, Chekhov? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I thought Paris was just uh, smarmy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought there wasn't a whole lot redeeming to him. And as I've gotten deeper into Voyager and actually watched it somewhat critically this time, I, I find that I actually like him a whole lot more than I ever did. Um, so he is no longer my least favorite character in the whole of Star Trek. I appreciate the quality he adds to the senior staff. I appreciate that Tom Paris is a realist. Yes. Um, you know, yes, he has the the sort of hope and optimism that everybody else does. But, you know, Paris was in a a, a jail cell three years before this, a penal colony in New Zealand. Yep. Um, he he understands that that actions have consequences and he's he's seen them because he's lived them. And I, I appreciate the realism that he brings at times. There is some snark, which I, I you know, I have to admit that I am a, a purveyor of myself. But uh, I, uh, there's a moment in this episode where he's on the holodeck just before the simulation ends, where he's going through with the mutiny with Chakotay, and they're going on the hunt for, um, for the captain. Mm-hmm. And he points a phaser at himself. And at that moment, old me was wishing, oh, this would be so cool if they just phased <laughs> each other right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can see how 
much he is into this simulation because when the holodeck ends because it hasn't been written any further he's really upset about it and he's like oh my computer restart simulation and he he points the phaser at where his other self was before the holodeck even has a chance to start up which it can't but he is he is off the deep end diving into this adventure at this point and yeah that, that they phaser each other you this is crazy <laughs> that would have been awesome <laughs> well the safety I, um, protocols were on at that point so you know real parents right. would have been okay yeah yeah no it's uh, totally <laughs> the one thing i would have liked to have seen in this episode is i would have liked to have seen um actual captain janeway get immersed into the simulation somehow yeah and not necessarily be the hero of the day I think it would have been a really interesting challenge. She would have potentially had to outthink Chakotay. Mm-hmm. I think this could have been a really good exercise in, in maybe drawing out some some of the reasons why she and Chakotay have become as as close as they are in the real world. I think there could have been some really good conversation regarding that with those two characters right. once she got through the simulation. Um, the things that she respects about him and which they pepper through the entire series. But I think it could have led to some really good scenes between those two characters. That's the only thing I wish had happened in this episode that didn't, because otherwise I think it's pretty tight. Even though it's a holodeck January, I did like the discussion that she and Chakotay had via the view screen when she was coming back from the mission with Paris and he had, and Chakotay had already taken over the ship. I liked that back and forth that they had yeah. and how um, she fired first. That was interesting, even though it was holodeck Janeway and then was able to beam over to the ship. I really, I really did like that. Speaking of the bridge bill, one of the things that I like the most about this episode isn't even in the episode. Yes, I'm, let me let me explain. I say I can't wait because I'm I'm really confused now. If you've ever seen the Voyager bloopers, there's one blooper where Tuvok is phasered. Oh and yeah, he does the overacting of hitting all the consoles. That's from this episode. I'm I'm 95 sure that that's from this episode. And every t- and it, they show it a couple of times in this episode of him getting phasered. And every time that happens, all I can think of is is that blooper, and I start laughing because it's it's hilarious. I love that that gift that that winds up getting traded around. I think that that's hilarious. If it really is from that episode, then I I love this episode even more now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really and it, it's always interesting to see uh, uh, to see Tim Russ um, out of Vulcan character when he's in Vulcan makeup, and that's definitely one of them because it's it's it may be one of the best bloopers of the modern treks. I loved it. Tim Russ is such a great Vulcan. I didn't have the respect for yeah. Tuvok that I I did before. Uh, I'm glad I have it now because it is just, it, it is probably the most Vulcan performance since Leonard as Spock. Yeah, then think about it. This is really the first time we've ever seen a character that is a returning regular series character that is all Vulcan. Spock half human, we get to see the different sides of it. Tim Russ had to do a Vulcan 100% of the time. Um, except when, you know, he was, you know, bitten by a flea or whatever. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, it was the first time that we saw the hundred percent Vulcan as a regular character. So, um, he had to come up with a new way to portray a Vulcan and kind of, and he, he does a great job with it. That's really interesting because I hadn't thought about that before. Um, you know, we've seen other Vulcans, you know, obviously Savic is, uh, is alleged to be a, a Vulcan Romulan, mm-hmm um a descent um the two you know hybrid sort of um spock obviously was was vulcan uh, we assume that 
or half Vulcan. We assume that Sarek is full Vulcan, but we didn't really see him a whole lot up to this right. point with the exception of his guest appearances on TNG and, and the brief moment he had in, in both TOS and in the movies. Yeah. But you know, we get this seven season exploration of Tuvok and what it means to be truly Vulcan. And I really think that Tim Russ uh, really is kind of the unsung hero of that cast yeah. for how well he portrays that character. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of times it takes a long time or a season or so for characters to really get in their groove um, for the rest of the series. This is Tuvok's one of the ones that I don't think really had to, he, he did great right from the offset. And uh, that's a credit to Tim and his, and his acting ability. Oh, without a doubt. Um, In fact, I think that everybody in this episode uh, really kind of turns in a really nice performance. It's nice to see Robert Beltran playing Chakotay a little against type. I'm sure that that had to be fun to do on some level. Um, although I've really uh, kind of like Riker and uh, the hologram simulation that data does of him on Romulus. I don't think they got the hair just right. <laughs> yeah. They could have done a little subtle tattoo change. That would have been kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tuvok would have nailed that detail, but apparently as we've discovered that uh, hair is not Tuvok's strong suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just go back to my uh, Peter Griffin rendition of the Voyager theme. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, there, there are some really nice light moments peppered into this episode oh. that I think really offsets the drama exceedingly well. Um, everything from the way people respond to the holodeck program to you know talking about how it it permeates the crew to the briefing room. Yes, that too. And I, I want to move to the last scene in the episode where they're all gathered around that table. Um, actually, no, I'm thinking of a different episode because I'm watching them out of order now. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I flash forward into Pathfinder. My that's bad. That's okay. They were sitting um, around at a table at the end of this one in the, in the mess hall, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, what can I say? Yeah, they, they were having a discussion. Um, and Chakotay says he's he's okay. No, it is that it's this episode that I'm thinking about. Uh, Chakotay says that he's okay as long as he's not the villain in the next one. Right. Um, who should the villain be in the next one? <laughs> well, I like how I like how Neelix wanted to be, and they were all like, "No, no, no, no." no. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I my money would you know maybe it's just because of her character, but I'd go with Bellana. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let me talk about really quickly because you said it real fast and you get a chance to interject. The humor in this episode is great. Yeah. My favorite humorous episode is the scene with the doctor in sick bay when he injects 20 cc's of nitric acid into Tom's arm. That's just that's some Seska's brutal. Yeah, things like that. She really did a great job with programming the uh, holiday characters of the of the ship to to be sadistic like that. I thought that was a I thought that was hysterical. I agree. Um, I, I thought that that was Bob Picardo just played that wonderfully. Um, and of course the look on, on Robert Duncan McNeil's face, well, that's all going on. He just, he sells it perfectly. And tu- Tuvok being Tuvok is like, we well, got to get out of here. Yeah. And then the doctor just, Oh, thank you for coming to sick bay and throws them out. That's it's awesome. It's like, yeah, keep running jerks. <laughs> <laughs> there is at the end of this episode, a, a really strong sense of, of community and family. And I think mm-hmm. that, it's kind of weird that this almost becomes what ties them all together. You really kind of get that sense that they are a cohesive unit at the end of this. And I think probably stronger than some of the other Voyager episodes that precede it. Certainly after this, they face some, some pretty severe conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they, they lose a crew member. They gain a crew member, not in that order. 
Right. Um, there's the Borg. There's all yeah. kinds of stuff. There's uh, the Malons. There's you name it. Um, but, but I really think this is a nice moment. Of, I almost don't think of it as a downshift, but in a way it really kind of is before they get to part one of Scorpion. Well, yeah, we've seen that on other shows too, where they have this, you know, major stuff happening and then major stuff happening later, but there's this, there's this light episode kind of thrown in. And even though it's just an episode, it means a lot into how the entire cast or, or crew bonds um, with what they've got coming up. You know, like you said, the Borg and the Malon, it's species 8472, um, all kinds of uh, very interesting stuff coming down the road. So it's great to throw this in. It's serious because, you know, they could die, a couple of the crew members, but at the same time, it is a lighter episode when you think about it. Yeah, although there's there's a lot of stuff that happens. I mean, it it takes a serious topic and, and pre- it creates a, a a serious struggle that, Tuvok and Paris have to work through, but, um, and there's a life or death element there, yeah. but it's, it, it's still pretty light in the way it's executed. I think it's written, I think it's Ken Biller who wrote this episode and I think it's, it's crafted extremely well. Um, I, this is one of those scripts that I don't think would have worked as well in a different series. You know, there's the criticism of some early Voyager episodes that they were essentially rewrites of, of scripts submitted for TNG mm-hmm. and some of them show. I mean, some of them are pretty obvious, but this one doesn't, I don't think really works with TNG characters. I think this one is uniquely Voyager and it has to be. And I I think that's the reason why I like it so much. We tend to, when we, when we criticize Voyager, we tend to criticize the writing from the earlier seasons. And I think that what you just said is a perfect example. They were in the shadow of TNG. They were playing alongside the same time as DS9 for a little while. So now they're finally getting to break out of that shadow and of that stigma, uh, if I want to use that word. And they're able to be on their own and really expand their horizons. And I think the end of season three is when they really start to get to do that. So, And this is this episode is a perfect example of what can be done when you're not living under that shadow and, and letting the, the stories evolve the way that this one did. Uh, totally agree. In fact, you know, according to Memory Alpha, um, quoting Cinefantastique, um, Ken Biller was ultimately delighted with the script for this episode, and he noted, this is maybe my favorite script of all time. Wow. Um, and I get why. It's yeah. just, it's, it's pretty great. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned that the writing duo of Paris and Tuvok could make a, <laughs> an appearance again someday. Although I really hope not. Tuvok seems to write some really, uh, some really non great nonfiction. And I think Paris would be stuck to writing mostly pulp novels. Yeah. I don't think mixing the two merges as think as well as they think it might. Would you like a spoiler alert? Yeah. I don't think it does. Okay. I don't think it comes up again. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm sure we'll, people will be emailing Bill at TrekGeeks.com if that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could just tell people to email us through the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. Um, it's really hard because it's – I really can't find anything I truly dislike about this episode. Um, it, it's fun to watch. Uh, I, I do think that the ending was a little contrived with the defaser rifle – set to overload or whatever. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I I think it's a, it's a really fun story. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a a story that is, that holds up well on rewatch. I would have liked to have seen other training simulations that Tuvok had done. I think it would have been a really great way to have some diversion episodes or some other downshifts. 
Um, or it would have been really interesting to see either a video game or a novel based on this kind of thing. I think that that could have been really fun to play with. But ultimately, this is a great hour of Star Trek. And it's one that I just enjoyed watching and, and will watch, no doubt, again and again. Yeah, I have to agree. It, it's fun. There's humor. There's adventure. There's tension. We get to see someone who people love to hate. She's kind of not on the level, but she's kind of the Kai Wynn of Voyager, in my mind, Seska. She's just that that one character that just gets under my skin so much. And, and we get to see her really play evil. And we get to see her die again, too. So that's always good. But yeah, this episode holds up great. It's 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 fun to see characters out of their normal element playing different characters kind of um so and that's always fun to see we've seen that on other shows where where the characters are playing um different versions of themselves of what we're used to seeing and it always works um take me out to the uh hollow suite is one um the vegas episode in deep space nine bada boom bada bang bada bing bada bang bada bang bada bang i always get that wrong because <laughs> i don't i don't speak vegas um but uh you don't they speak always, english that, that's true they don't they they seem to work a lot better or not a lot better but they seem to really work and this is a good example of that so big thumb two thumbs up for 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 davidson and smith i think uh yeah absolutely one of the things that this makes me wonder about saska is whether or not she was ever a member of the obsidian order um because now think about this in deep space nine civil defense the crew accidentally triggers a program that was left behind mm-hmm. by the Cardassians to quell an uprising. Right. It's, it's a defensive system. And there are all kinds of just horrible things in that program. Sure. They're meant to just slay everybody that's trying to take over the station. Yep. Seska employs some devices in this, in that program that are really not uh, unlike the, the level of deviousness that is unleashed on in that deep space nine program. So it makes me wonder if perhaps in part of Seska's background, maybe at some point she was part of the obsidian order. Maybe they just didn't introduce that, but I think that would be a really great facet to that character. If we'd learned that. Let me add another to that. Yeah. The episode second skin, Ileana Gamora completely was put into um, an undercover um, aspect of, of, of gathering information on Bajor. Who knows? Was Seska the same way? Was she infiltrating the Maquis as a member of the Obsidian, Obsidian Order? I mean, that's you bringing that up made me think of that because I was just listening to Second Skin uh, on Mission Log. And uh, hmm, hmm, interesting. Well, for a moment there, I was wondering what if Seska was Ileana Gamora? And I'm like, well, my <laughs> wow. mind would have been blown there, but I don't think that's the case. Wow. Um, but I think that really would have been fun to learn that Seska, you know, was essentially, you know, a, a along the same lines as Garrick. Um, it wouldn't shock me. Um, it would explain why she was aboard Voyager in the first place. Um, and why she was part of the Maquis to get that information. Right. Um, but in my own head canon, even though that's a phrase I hate, um, I kind of like to play with the fact that Seska was part of the order because I think that it adds a level of complexity and fascination with that character. I think that's why I enjoy Seska so much is because I can see that being real. I really like that idea, and I'm going to go with that from now on, too. Taking it from you. Wow. But I'll give you credit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're so nice. I try. Oh, well, try harder, would you? Okay. <laughs> I, um, so, yeah, any, uh, any final thoughts on worst-case scenario, which really is kind of the best-case scenario of Star Trek episodes, Dan, because we enjoyed it so much? 
It really is. You know, we joke about holodeck episodes gone wrong, but this is one that goes wrong in a good way. It, it, it's fun. It's a fun episode. It's it's one that makes you smile even when the worst things are happening. You know, like we talked about the torture scene in Sick Bay. I mean, it's funny. There's good stuff. There's a lot of things to enjoy about this. Um, it, it, it Like we talked about, you get to see kind of the characters out of their element, and we get to see what things were like had that Maquis Starfleet headbutting continued while they were uh, in the Delta Quadrant. So it's it's a fantastic episode. Like you said, really nothing to criticize about it. It's just fun and enjoyable and and a good um, um, standalone. It's a bottle episode for sure, um, and it really works well. I was just going to say that this is a great standalone episode. If you haven't watched a lot of Voyager or, or maybe you, you haven't watched uh, it all, this is one you can skip to and know that uh, it's really – self-contained i mean nothing in this episode really matters down the road Mm -hmm. it deals with things that have been introduced before which i think is a great way to to look at it but this is absolutely one you can watch and and enjoy without having seen the whole of voyager if you haven't seen it so uh if you haven't tried this one out i would recommend it it's a fantastic episode great performances by everybody involved um uh, and uh, just i think i want to watch it again right after we do this well, you, uh, I'll, I, I will grant you permission to do that. Dan, I grant you permission to talk about five-year mission and how awesome they are. We give them our sincere and grateful thanks every single episode for letting us use the music. And Dan, did you know that mm. this week we announced that five-year mission is having their own podcast on the Trek Geeks Network? I Remember did we, know that. We had Fark on last week, which was a great great segment mm-hmm. and uh, we're excited to bring them on board can't wait to hear what they have but for now we can hear their awesome music in our ear holes by going to fiveyearmission.net getting all their albums listening to them becoming a big fan because i pretty sure you may hear some of that music on their podcast too dan i'm kind of hoping maybe we get like sneak peeks of upcoming tracks that'd be kind of cool and maybe live acoustical like versions Oh, little uh, five-year mission unplugged. Oh my gosh, that would be awesome. I love them. We love hearing them every week here on Trek Geeks, and we're very excited to have them joining the network. And, you know, you know, seeing as if we discussed Voyager today, Bill, uh, I really thought it'd be a good idea to, to watch another great Voyager episode. And, and, and lately, I think you'd agree that most of them are indeed pretty good. You know, we both have that new appreciation. Um, I think you'll remember this one. I, I'm pretty sure it's happened uh, before where you're watching your your watch of Voyager. You know, Janeway is having horrible, horrible headaches, and Chakotay ages rapidly and goes blind. I'm thinking, you know, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. Neelix gets spots or more spots, I should say, all over his body and emits a strange odor, smelling like, well you and uh, hey. all, all sorry all kinds of other weird stuff well they actually discovered that it's all caused by alien musicians that are invisible and they're studying the crew using strange devices on everyone you know so seven of nine adjusts her ocular implant to see their spectrum she sees a drumstick sticking out of janeway's head you know what i'm talking about it's riveting stuff it's a great episode check it out scientific method it is a real humdinger check it out man Scientific arc method. You can wake up now. Scientific arc method. Oh, no. I was awake. I was just <laughs> in pain. <laughs> Maybe you had a drumstick sticking out of your head from another spectrum. That would hurt. Yeah. That you would hurt, hurt me all the time. Uh, your face hurts me. <laughs> um, I think it's it, it's a double slap in the face that you used Fark's uh, least favorite Star Trek to come up with a Farkism this week. Uh, uh, no, we, it, was of, 
he's part of the network. He has to do what we say now. No, that's <laughs> we're on the verge of getting slapped with another cease and desist. And oh. will this be a kettle of fish because um <laughs> because you've done this again. And I'm sorry, a real humdinger. What are you, yes. 85? I knew that you were gonna make a comment of that. That's why I left it in there, buddy. <laughs> what is a humdinger? I don't know. It kind of sounded like a bird. Um <laughs> Yeah, we should look up the the origins of that word because I'm right. sure that's pretty fascinating. But yeah, that's uh, fiveyearmission.net. Check it out because it's a real humdinger. <laughs> it's a humdinger. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap after I eat at four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's going to go drink his can of Ensure. And in the meantime, <laughs> we want to remind you that you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to exclusive stuff not available anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets. Participate in one of our quarterly supporters roundtables, which we just had yesterday for the first time, and even get some uh, raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with a bunch of other perks, Dan. Lots of perks, lots of great stuff going on, and that really was a great time at that roundtable yesterday. Uh, We also want to take a moment now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support, and they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro. Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. Wow. Well done, Dan. I'm amazed you made it through that list. Um, Me too. I know, because it's touch and go every time. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to raw audio of the Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscriptions start as low as one quatlu a month. Wow, we're in Quatloos now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dan, next week, you are going to be relaxing on the shores of Lake Winnesquam in central New Hampshire. We're going to have a quick discussion on a major announcement coming up for the network that we want everyone to check out. We are very excited about it. The following week, we're going to drop one of our carpool conversations from uh, our Patreon from our Trek Geeks listeners, a really interesting topic based on the upcoming series Star Trek Picard. Yeah, this was a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to everyone hearing this. Um, As Picard is filming uh, and is in full swing out in California, we had a great conversation recently about what other characters besides Jean-Luc we would like to see in a spinoff series. There's some great characters, some great discussion, uh, and always some great jives in this carpool conversation. It all happens in two weeks here on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Oh, it sounds so good when you say that. Yeah, thank you. That makes me happy. Uh, Of course, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other shows we'll have coming to the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And we are, of course, the Star Trek Podcast Network for your fandom. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 183 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. It's too bad that we never saw Tuvok's other holodeck project that he was working on insurrection coconut oh insurrection coconut is one where i I airlock you 
Lungs. <laughs> okay, Ariam. Wow. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. That was gross. <laughs> bing, bing bong. Bing bong. Hmm. Yes, the old ones, bing bong. It is an early morning and I have not had coffee. You need to start working on your galt, not your ruck. I know. That's true. What does galt sound like? Galt. <laughs> he actually, he said, oh my God. You know who he sounds like? Mr. Ruskin. I- Oh, uh, if, if you're going to say Joseph Ruskin, I was going to shut down this recording right now. You want to hear an interesting thing about Mr. Ruskin? I like calling him Mr. Ruskin because he's just so cool. I did not know this until I was listening to Mission Log this week. He is the only other person besides Major Rodden, blah, 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 Major Barrett Roddenberry. Who? To, I'm sorry, I was looking down. At, <laughs> I was looking down on my screen. Besides Major, to be in every series of Star Trek until Discovery, of course. He was in every one. He was um, and he was an extra in Insurrection, so that counts as TNG. I did not know that. So he and Majel are the only two people to be in all of the series before Discovery. That's amazing. Now I'm going to go on a whim here because it's been a long time since I've rewatched Enterprise. I'm guessing that Majel's appearance counts as the computer yes. in the finale. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And I, I was amazed by that, and it took me a while to remember what Majel was, um, but that's. That's pretty cool. So I will be um, cosplaying a, a, a living, uh, well, not a living, but a Star Trek legend. Wow. Thanks for walking that one back. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like Tom Petty's going to be there or anything. Were you just doing your Tom Petty impersonation right now? <laughs> All right. So Dan and his brother-in-law have this running joke about Tom Petty. So we apologize for anybody who's a Tom Petty fan. And, and uh, I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. And, I, yeah. and I've actually said to Sue last night, I have grown to appreciate his music to a new level on, since his unfortunate passing. But my brother-in-law, for some reason, with all the people that have died and all the stars that they always come out with this, with, you know, these things when they, when they pass away and their music seems to become more popular. For some reason, I just always make, I hate to say joke because it's not funny, but about Tom Petty, whenever a Tom Petty song comes on and we're together, I just like, I think it's because of the reaction you get out of your brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and I always try to make uh, up new lyrics for the songs that are on when he's playing to, to, to get under my brother-in-law's skin. It's pretty funny. That see, that really is the beautiful part. Just knowing <laughs> that head is probably imploding from you doing that. <laughs> True. Which True. I, I endorse quite honestly. Well, I, I appreciate that. Then I'll keep going with it. Well, you, you're a credit to that uniform. You, uh, but be careful. You know, you don't want to go overboard on this because we don't want you to suffer any bass and collarage. Bass and collarage is a bad thing. I, I'm going to have to come up with a bass and collarage lozenge <laughs> because that would uh, that would help with bass and collarageitis. How does uh, how does one actually prevent bass and collarage? I mean, I'm not sure. Before we before we 
continue with that conversation. Don't move. Back up. To, well, actually, move back up just a little tiny bit, but don't move your shoulder. I want to point out something to the listeners uh, talking about it. Your left shoulder or your shoulder that's showing, the crease in your shirt looks like a Starfleet Delta. Now it's gone because you moved, dummy. You told me to back up. Yeah, but you backed up too much. Anyway, Bassin Collarageitis. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> it's, I just see deltas everywhere. <laughs> there, there's your delta. Yeah, there you go. I got my delta right here. <laughs> yeah, you keep I was, talking. I was, okay, so yeah. Anyway, um, uh, that was our people who are maybe wondering about Bassin Collar. Bass and Coleridge, very, very serious. Uh, that very nice delta you got there. Thank um, you. You're gonna have to become a Patreon to be able to understand what that actually is. So there you go. Well, no, we can't just start dropping the term on <laughs> on the flagship and not tell people what it no is. No purchase necessary. Yeah, yeah. We're in the outtake. <laughs> That's true. No, it's actually it's it's my made up word of the week, and it's a um it's a tear of the vocal cord subcutaneous region, and I don't I can't believe I didn't screw that up, but uh, I'll go with it. You screw up the title of the podcast yeah, and yet you said the word subcutaneously subcutaneously subcutaneousness uh, you are a study in contrast uh, it's a beautiful thing isn't it not the first word i was going to go with no. but okay not 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 okay <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah Yes, you are such a putt. So we're getting ready for uh, uh, america's um, birthday this week uh, as we record pretty exciting going to be a nice week yeah, and, it's it's Thursday, warm. I think. Thursday is the Fourth of July, Independence Day. Um, got to watch the uh, Red Sox and Yankees play the first game in Europe in history yesterday, and it was horrible. <laughs> I couldn't care less because it's in Europe. Well, yeah, but they, I think I, this is what I said. I was talking to my family last night at dinner. I personally think this is a test because I think in a few years we're going to see a Major League Baseball team based in London. It's got sort of along the lines of the NFL. I think the same thing with the NFL. So they're testing it out, seeing what kind of uh, turnout they have. And the place was packed, of course. Uh, they got their money's worth because it was 17 to 13. 30 runs were scored in the game. Um, so uh, we'll see. Was it a softball game? I know. Well, the, the deepest part of the park was 385 feet to center field. That's how they built the they, – they turned a sock, the London Stadium into a baseball field, and that's a pretty short uh, yeah. pretty short wall, especially when you got sluggers from the Yankees like Aaron Judge and people from the Red Sox like uh, – uh, I don't know, none of them really did good yesterday, so never mind. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody was going yard because it's only 385 to center. So Yeah, so anyway, little sports. You know, I always got to throw a little sports talk into the podcast, so we'll move on. Yeah, that's I'm um, great because everybody who was listening stopped about a minute and a half ago. We should uh, well, we we should we already did take me out to the Hollow Suite, so we already did a sports related one. We're not going to do the boxing one in Voyager because that one's just lame. So uh, episode's not great, not good. So I don't know of any other really sports ones. We could do the one with Riker's dad because they have that game. What is it? And Bujitsu. And Bujitsu. I couldn't remember the first. Sorry, and Bujitsu. And Bujitsu. Yes, yes. And of course, Pulaski and Riker. So, anyway, <laughs> they were playing a different kind of jujitsu. <laughs> Bounce, chicka, wow, wow, <clears throat> coconut. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hearkening back to episode fifteen. Yes, that's coconut. It's a long time ago. A long time. Four and a half years. Uh, isn't that amazing? Congratulations, man. Congratulations to you, buddy. Oh, I. Uh, it's amazing to think that uh, coming up in the early part of 2020, just mere six and a half months from now, we'll be talking about our fifth, uh, fifth, mm. fifth anniversary. I'm Hugh Downs, and this is 2020.
Does that make me Barbara Walters? Yes. Are you ready to do this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>